From New York City, welcome to Mark to Markets. I'm your host, Mark Penziner. On this podcast, we discuss topics near and far from personal finance. Any questions or comments, I can be reached at mark.penziner at bernstein.com or call me directly at 212-969-6655. Well, for today's episode, I have a repeat offender and repeat offender may be a little bit ironic when the guest is supervising special agent Mylan Kasanovich of the FBI. Mylan, thanks for coming back. Mark, thanks for having me. When we last spoke a few years ago, it was prior to the pandemic, and we talked a lot about um, what I would define as maybe simple fraud, credit card fraud, email scams, et cetera. I would assume in your world, looking after um, what I guess we could broadly describe as white collar crime, is that fair? That's fair that the world has only gotten more complex given the fact that people have worked and banked and lived in finance from home for two years through the pandemic. So I'm curious, have the topics or frauds you cover or spend your time on evolved in the last few years? Well, that's a good question, Mark. Um, with the change to a lot of the work from home, we've seen our criminals adapt as well. And some of the methodologies that they have deployed um, to try to defraud folks certainly have changed. Um, but it's, you know, a mix of the old standbys with a, a new school twist, for lack of a better description. So some of those things we talked about previously would certainly still be applicable. And there are a couple of other things that, you know, may, we may add on to that, that, hey, look, here are some additional steps that, you know, would be worthwhile for you to take to protect yourself or your business uh, against fraudulent actors, whether they be in cyberspace or elsewhere. Have fraudulent actors increased in cyberspace through the pandemic over the last few years, or has it gone somewhere else? Well, I don't necessarily, I don't have any statistics in front of me to say, hey, look, the percentages are up X, Y, and Z, because we only can, um, we, our Internet Crime Complaint Center publishes a report every year. Um, it's only as good as the data that's input into it. Um, from the information that's been provided to that entity that we run, uh, we have seen uh, more stuff reported, but that may just be a function of more people um, being aware and knowing where to report. Regardless, as more of our lives move online and we're doing more things connected, whether it's through a smartphone or your laptop or your desktop computer, those are going to be the areas that our fraudsters are going to target just because that's where the people are, right? So let's start with the basics. Some of this will probably be stuff we covered a few years back, but I think sure. it's worthy of discussion. Um, one of the big things we all see when we sign online to, to bank, travel, everything is password. Got to have a million passwords for everything. Everything you do has to have a password, 20 different passwords, auto use passwords, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what would be some best practices for how you manage your passwords and how you manage your online access. I think this is a great place to start, Mark, mainly because, um, you know, since maybe the mid 90s, when the uh, World Wide Web was just really getting its uh, feet under itself, um, we were always taught the password uh, hygiene of something to the effect of use a capital letter, a lowercase, a number, a special character, make it a word that's like hidden in and, you know, 
see if you can remember it. And that's all well and good, but the computers that exist today um, would have a pretty easy time of cracking that password. We've now realized, hey, length is more important. Um, so the no more, char more characters, the longer it is, uh, the harder it would be, um, the degrees of entropy to, to hack that password. And the other thing, quite frankly, is back then, you only had a couple of passwords, maybe just for your email, and that's it. Now we have passwords for everything. Uh, I can tell you the last time I looked, I had 250 plus uh, logins somewhere uh, on the web at different places. I, I can't remember 250 good username and password combinations. And that's where something like a password manager comes in. Um, I will admit that it took me a while to sign onto that train, but seeing what I see in the world that I work in, uh, I can't recommend these things enough. There are a handful of paid services out there that do this. And the password manager it makes your life a little bit easier in a couple of different ways. One, it makes it so that you can um, easily fill in usernames and passwords there. So there is a service element to it because um, it's just a browser extension that you add to your computer or your phone. But the bigger thing for us is that you will now be able to pick uh, a new password for every site you can use one suggested by the password manager. You can pick how long you want to have it, um, you know, whether you want special characters, anything like that, which means now, you know, theoretically, if, if you looked at, uh, you know, if you, you peeked into my uh, cyber soul, for lack of a better description, and looked at all the passwords and um, that I had associated with usernames, you'd see a different password for every single website that requires a username and a password combo. And they're all different. They're all really long, which means they're not going to be hacked um, by a computer. But more importantly for us is the fact that no matter how much I do about my own personal cybersecurity and cyber safety, I'm not the weakest link in the sense that I could go shopping at X, Y, and Z store or visit uh, ABC website and perhaps there's a security flaw or they're subject to a hack and then all of a sudden my username and password are out there in the ether. And that's what we don't want. That is what our cyber criminals are really focused on because what they do is they take that information, um, they then throw it against, they have programs that will run and check against the major banking sites, the major e-commerce sites, all kinds of different things where they think that you have reused the same name username and password, because that is the digital gold to them. They want to find out where you have taken the, the credentials that they have and reused it somewhere else, because you're essentially pro providing the keys to the kingdom for them to get in there. So if you're using a password manager, you're hopefully going to have a number of unique passwords uh, with usernames so that even if anything got uh, lost or stolen in a cyber hack that I had nothing to do with, congratulations, our bad guys are not going to be able to get into any other account because they don't have I have not reused that username and password. And that is really where those um, password managers come into play because we, we get asked and tasked so often, often with using uh, a username and password in, in any site that we visit that being able to have unique ones and ones that are good and strong uh, on a consistent basis uh, becomes a Herculean task. And these things make it significantly easier to do that. If you're the victim of some of these crimes and there's, um, I don't know, money stolen or, or your credit cards used, or you've probably seen this play out a million different ways. Is there recourse? Like, can you get insurance against internet hacking or do like the credit card companies cover you? Or are you just like, uh oh, they stole my information or they stole my money? Like, where does it go from there? Sure. It, 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 there are a variety of different 
avenues that it can take out, right? If somebody were somehow to be able to compromise your credit card and get a hold of your um, information and, and, you know, make purchases that you didn't authorize, a lot of credit card issuers do add fraud protection onto their uh, zero liability. You'll see that advertised often. So that's where you would contact your um, your credit card's fraud department immediately as soon as you notice something suspicious and address it with them. This is also where I think we talked about last time we did this, there is a preference to use a credit card over a debit card because the debit card directly uh, debits from your checking uh, account or a savings account, typically a checking account. And if a bad actor got a hold of those credentials, then they're right. It's your money that's at issue, whereas with the credit card, it's the bank's money. Um, if you end up uh, you know, having your information stolen from somewhere else, you know, you don't want to be relying on other individuals to protect yourself in cyberspace. There are businesses that um, offer cyber liability insurance. So if you run a you know business large or small, that's something you can talk about with your insurance carriers, whether they offer that. But typically, there is a limit to the liability on that. For us, we want to just assume, and you know, I live in a world where I see the worst in everything, so I don't trust anybody at this point in time when it comes to cyber safe stuff. So I approach it as just assume that your emails, passwords, it's been lost or stolen by somebody. So what are the best ways you can do to protect yourself with the information that you have available to you? And using a default thing like we talked about, having the password manager, that's a great first step because you're going to have a bunch of unique passwords and usernames. So your information is going to be a lot less valuable to those bad actors because it doesn't get them anywhere else. Now, if you're a victim of one of these things, one of the things we will always recommend that you do is go to ic3.gov. So it's the letter I as in India, C as in Charlie, then the number three uh, .gov. That is that Internet Crime Complaint Center. And you can input the information there because what we will do, we have teams of analysts that will go through and look for patterns and trends uh, within the submissions there to see, okay, hey, look, we see the same bad actors, you know, logging in from these IP addresses or um, diverting shipments to this place or whatever it will be. And then they make references out to field offices uh, within the FBI to potentially open cases and things like that. So that helps us from that standpoint. But a lot of us want to be able to, you know, uh, mitigate that threat or that harm right at the start. So the best thing that you can do, it's that uh, ounce of uh, prevention uh, adage, is that the things that we're talking about today so that you're not going to be in the scenario where you're trying to fill in gaps and, you know, take uh, water out of the boat, one bucket pail at a time. Let's plug those holes before that happens. Yeah, when, when we were talking offline, you mentioned the notion of SIM swapping, and this is totally new to me. Can you expand on this? Sure. So this fits in uh, a lot of with we've seen uh, increases in security where they ask for something called two-factor authentication. A lot of times you'll uh, see it abbreviated as two and then capital F and capital A. And what this is, is a security feature that is built into an increasing number of websites where they say, hey, look, we know that there are bad actors out there in the cyberspace and uh, who may have gotten hold of your username and your password. And to protect against that, we're going to add an extra step that they have to get by to get into the system that we're in. So a lot of the, a lot of the ones use what they call um, uh, two-factor authentication via SMS. So they know a lot of people have a phone on them at all times. We live in a smartphone era. So the easiest way from a consumer-friendly standpoint is to say, okay, hey, look, while you try to log in here, we're going to send you a text just to verify that it is you, and then we'll be good to go. Now, the problem with that is, what if your phone isn't with you, or what worse, the SIM swapping? That is where 
you have folks uh, and we have bad actors that will um, look at cell phone carriers as a vulnerability standpoint and go in and do what we call social engineering and try to convince uh, whatever cell phone provider that they are actually the true holder of a um, phone number and you know get them to transfer over the service to a new phone that they've bought um, so essentially they're the little card in there uh, you can trade that anywhere and so what they would be doing is going into one cell phone provider and say hey i'm the owner of uh you know 212-555-1212 and i'm you know i've decided to switch to you as my carrier please uh port this number over this new phone i'm buying with you and then all of a sudden you know they've got the ability to get in because they have that second factor authentication via the sms the dead giveaway for this is if you're in an area you know you have cell phone coverage and all of a sudden it just disappears and says no service whatsoever. Um, that is, if it's unusual for you to experience that, that's usually a telltale sign that something might have happened. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can protect yourself against this. One of them being that uh, a number of the mobile providers will allow you to go in and proactively add something to your account, whether it be called a number lock or account protection, and say, hey, look, you can't port my number to a new phone or a new service or, or anybody else unless I show up in person with an ID and prove who I am. Our bad guys aren't going to do that. That's too much work for them. And it puts them in a face-to-face -face interaction, which is not something that uh, people in this space are typically going to do. So take a second and make sure and see how your uh, carrier provides or if they provide that surface and go ahead and employ it so that it's one extra step so you, you prevent yourself from becoming victimized like this by this. The second option that we have is a lot of places for two-factor authentication, they usually just default to the SMS because they know everybody's got a cell phone and they can easily answer a text. There are now things called authenticators, which are essentially apps that you have to put on your smartphone that will provide the way to do the 2FA uh, without being SMS. So it, you've got to be holding the device that has the specific authenticator. Usually those numbers switch every 60 seconds. So that is an infinitely more secure way to do this. I will forewarn you that if you lose your phone uh, in, a, in a creek while you're canoeing or something, um, it's going to be hard to to build that back out. There are ways you can back up your information. It's just going to take you a little bit of extra work. Just know that going in. Um, but that will increase the security that you have in those 2FA accounts um, as opposed to making yourself vulnerable to SIM swapping uh, where they've got the SMS uh, accounts that are used for that two-factor authentication. I, I can't help but think, and I'm sure you, you and your colleagues think this every day, the level of sophistication from the bad guys is so high they would probably make more money if they were just working on the good guys. You, you, I think about that all the time. There, the creativity and the amount uh, of effort that is put into this, um, you wonder what uh, good could be done for society if they redirected their efforts for sure. A, a big topic subject of late, eh, I should even say of late, of the last few years has been crypto. Um, I can't not think of crypto and not bring it up with an FBI agent because not exclusively, but it's hard to not think about scams and, and shady dealings in the crypto space. Um, how are you specifically, are you as a department thinking about crypto and, and how should people who are listening to this think about safety in the crypto space? Sure. So, you know, crypto uh, has been around since 
in its current fashion since about 2000, late 2008, 2009, when we had that first Bitcoin uh, white paper. And, um, you know, they had those first, first coins that were mined uh, in early um, 2009. Its first real use case on the dark web, right? They were trying to bring uh, trust to a trustless environment. And that was the problem that it solved. Um, the first way to employ that was in a dark net marketplace by the name of um, or the most popular early uh, deployment of it was in a dark net mar uh, marketplace known um, by the moniker Silk Road. So a lot of that early media coverage was about how crypto was utilized in that space. It as an industry has significantly matured uh, on a consistent basis uh, since then. I think there is an article in the Wall Street Journal today about how um, one of the oldest banks in the U.S. is now going to custody crypto for their clients. So you can see the growth uh, where it's gone from a niche um, product within the message boards of the cyberpunks from the late 80s and, and a pipe dream to actually being actionable. And now we're in a scenario in which large financial institutions are recognizing, hey, look, we, our clients have told us this is something that they're interested in. So we need to be involved in this as well. And as the uh, industry itself has matured. Um, we as a law enforcement entity has ha have had to do so as well, right? So the Department of Justice announced uh, earlier this year that they have a national uh, crypto enforcement team that they have uh, put together. We here at the FBI have uh, a virtual assets unit that is specifically dedicated to developing the expertise and or enhancing the expertise of those that we already have that do this kind of stuff. Um, to address these things. And it's certainly not to say that anybody in the crypto space is a bad actor, because that is not the case. It's the same kind of things that we do for um, the traditional securities that you see with stocks and bonds or commodities. It, this is just a new version of that. And so we want to make sure that we weed, help weed out the bad actors so that those folks that are doing the legitimate work and the innovation are able to, to continue to do that within the space without being worried about um, those other illicit actors. Now, that all being said, as any industry matures and goes through its growing pains, there are going to be vulnerabilities because you haven't had guardrails develop or you don't have familiarity that is developed. Uh, one of the hallmarks of crypto is the whole ideas, uh, uh, the whole idea of not your keys, not your crypto, where any custodying of assets that's really on you and things can't be undone, at least right now, although there's some proposals out there in the Ethereum world to, to perhaps change that. Um, but the idea is that you are solely responsible for um, yourself in the crypto space. And it's a little different than what we just talked about, right? Where with credit cards, if something happened with fraud, you could call your bank because there's zero fraud liability. That kind of stuff doesn't exist in the crypto space. It may or may not eventually exist. Who knows? It's just a different arena. And it is a scenario in which um, if it's something that interests you, just make sure that you have a comfort level, uh, just like anything, do your research and, um, you know, that extra stuff that you would do for any investment. And, and that goes whether we're in a, a risk on environment like um, the last year and a half or a risk off environment where you're seeing some of the bear market stories now, regardless of which one you're in, you should always be doing that same basic level of investigation and research into those things that you want to invest in or you think are worth divesting your hard-earned money um, in support of something else. So it's it's a new thing in the sense that crypto is new. There are certainly a number of uh, potential use cases for it uh, that, and other things that it'll be an interesting decade to see what transpires. 
but we also do have to address it like we do the other ones and you know ensure that as our bad actors adopt it or we see fraudsters in the space that we address them the same way we would uh, and have for the last hundred years in traditional finance and other. Um, last question. So there's been talk of a crypto winter, but maybe it'd be better to say that all investments, stocks, bonds, virtually everything is under stress this year. Um, do those types of markets or environments where investments are not performing as well as they, they have in prior years, does that flesh out more fraud um, than environments where in reality or on paper, people are making lots of money? I'm just curious if you know, the tide washes out not only the people without investment expertise, but also the, the fraudsters and criminals and, and these types of markets um, expose things more often than the average day-to-day would. Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting concept and all this would you know, certainly be anecdotal from my end in the sense that we do see in the, the hot markets where it's like full risk on that, um, you know, perhaps people are more willing to gamble and um, take a, a, a chance on things where maybe they wouldn't have if they didn't feel as comfortable with their other investments. Uh, I remember in the crypto space back in the ICO craze of 2017 and 2018, I mean, people were putting up, um, you know, uh, websites to tout their crypto projects where they were just using stock image photos of Hollywood movie stars and pretending that those were people. Uh, and they were still garnering uh, folks who were all just trying to buy low uh, and get in on the ground floor on something. Um, so, you know, it certainly creates a craze where uh, everybody wants to jump in and there's that FOMO, that fear of missing out, where um, in these markets, you uh, it becomes a little bit different, right? So people aren't as comfortable in the regular investment, you know, from the investments that they have. Uh, so maybe they're less willing. Although the flip side of that arg- argument, anecdotally, is, hey, I was having struggles. I, you know, made a lot of money on paper, and I'm disappointed. I need to get back there. I was looking for investment that was really going to, you know, catch me up in a quicker time frame than maybe normal. So that's why I was willing to, you know. Put my investment in in this investment vehicle that this guy told me about, or this crypto that this girl told me about. So there's an argument made either way. I think it goes back to that font, that default of, hey, look, um, regardless of what kind of market you're in, whether it's a bear, a bull, or just a <laughs> a rolling straight line, that y- you want to do that extra work um, and make sure you're comfortable with your investing uh, in. You're not always going to be 100% right, right? As we all know, but you can certainly do things to help protect yourself uh, against what you think um, You know, are your personal red flags. Uh, there's always ones that, that folks will mention out there, but then you have to have your your personal ones of, hey, look, do I feel comfortable doing this? Is, is what they're telling me making sense? Sometimes you're going to miss out on an investment, um, but that's life, right? Alan, this was super informative. I, I thank you for your time. And I, I am confident that our listeners are going to be more secure and better protected having taken some of your advice today. Well, Mark, thanks again for having me on. I sincerely appreciate it. And I would always encourage folks that if you do run into issues in cyberspace uh, or you've been defrauded, please reach out to the ic3.gov and input your information there. And please follow those things that we talked about because every little thing that you do to make it harder for a a fraudster or cyber criminal to attack you um, is going to help protect you. So thank you so much for having me. Mylon, thanks again to our listeners. Feel free to email me at mark.penzenreitbernstein.com. Or call me at 212-969-6655 for any questions or comments on this podcast or any of the earlier related topics we've covered. And make sure to like or review this podcast wherever you listen to it. Until next time.